Well, good morning. Is anybody else, every time I hear that intro to this sermon series, like, it just makes me happy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just, you just want to get into it. You just want to dance. And it's okay to dance, right? I mean, even though we're Southern Baptists. Oh, I just, they know we're Southern Baptists? All right, okay. Um, so, it's okay to dance. Um, you know what's really funny about that video clip? Is, uh, it shows the New Orleans Saints. And I'm not a New Orleans Saints fan. But uh, I'm a huge Buccaneers fan, and, um, and so, man, that's the first time I've ever gotten to cheer when I'm saying that. <laughs> so, um, but I'm a huge Bucs fan, but I, I have mad respect for Drew Brees, and uh, the first time I ever went to an NFL game, it was the New Orleans Saints were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I was jazzed because I was going to see Drew Brees in person, and Drew Brees was lighting it up that year. It was actually the year before they won the Super Bowl. He was really lighting it up, and I was super stoked about it. We show up, my wife and I. And I get there, and on trust of the field, the backup. And I was really let down. And so if you're new today, you've never been here, and you've heard about the world-renowned J.J. Gallowitz, you just went, oh, crap, we got the backup. But it actually gets worse than that because Chris is actually the backup, and he spoke last week, so you got the practice squad guy, and they call in last minute. So congratulations, you have me. Um, so my name is Logan Merrick. Um, as, as Chris talked to me a minute ago, I wrote a book called Chasing Dreams, Killing Idols, and um, it's about my time in a band called Letters from Patmos. You guys know us as Letters from Swoopy Bangs, apparently. So um, we came and played here a couple of times. We led worship. You guys do some of our songs. Um, but this book is about my time in that band. Um, my dream my whole life was to uh, be a drummer play on the biggest of stages, and um, I got a chance to do that, but ultimately it ended in my demise, my spiritual demise. Um, I became um, an atheist for a little while, uh, just didn't, I didn't believe that God was good if, he, if there was a God, so I wrote my book about that and how um, I chased a dream, but ultimately it became my idol, and in the book I talk about uh, three symptoms on how to spot idolatry in your life, so that's why JJ and them asked me to, uh, to talk about this topic. Um, I will say this, because I forgot to say it last time. Uh, the portions of the proceeds of this book go to help um, children that are hungry, mostly my children, because I have four of them. Uh, but uh, but, uh, but for real, it does, a portion of the proceeds do go to uh, fight uh, child sex trafficking and things like that. So um, if you do pick up a book, just know it goes uh, not to line my pockets, but to uh, help children in need. Um, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to dive in. Is that cool? Awesome. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, uh, thank you first and foremost, Father, that you are a big God. And before the foundations of the earth, you called us by name. You gave us a calling. Uh, You put words in our mouth. And, Lord, I thank you for this time that you have called me to speak. You've given me a story to tell, uh, an experience to share. And, Father, I thank you that you called us all out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And, Jesus, I pray that this time you would speak that you would convict and you would draw us all to you, closer to you. Give us revelation more of who you are because you are good. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 14. And I know that uh, we had some questions up here, and I'm going to do my best to dovetail those questions at the end. Um, but I've got some questions for you guys that, as a pastor, I struggle with. Um, that kind of keep me up at night, that I pray through. 
And here they are. As you're turning to Ezekiel chapter 14, which we will, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, we'll have the passage up here. Um, But it goes like, these are some of the questions I have. Why is there such a lack of biblical knowledge in the church today, especially in Western, the Western church? Why aren't Christians more aware of God in their daily lives? Why are so many Christians such surface level, no depth to their understanding of who God is and his great power? And then the big one I have is, why is there such apathy in our churches today? Just think about that. Apathy is defined like this in the Webster's Dictionary. It says, absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. Lack of interest in or concern for things that others find more moving and exciting. So, I'll ask you again, why is there such apathy in our churches I mean, we're talking about we serve an all-creative God, an all-knowing God, one that there is no other God. There are many religions, not any other God, that laid down their life for us. He's the greatest propitiation. Propitiation means sacrifice. All other religions is I have to go to God, make a sacrifice so that his wrath doesn't come against me. Our God is the only one that came, died on a cross, appeased the wrath of God, and he says, I did it for you. And yet we have such a lack of emotion and passion for God. Why is that? Well, Ezekiel chapter 14 kind of answers that question. Ezekiel is a prophet. Uh, he's an Old Testament prophet. And he, uh, he bats a thousand. Okay? Because in the Old Testament, if you got a prophecy wrong, they killed you. So it's a pretty dangerous line of work. And you have to get it right. So Ezekiel bats a thousand. And what they did back in those days is this. The leaders of Israel and the kings of Israel would go and they would uh, go to the prophets and they would say, hey, what do we do? Where do, we, do we go to war? Do we not go to war? How do we lead the nation? And the prophets were the mouth of God. So here we have in this passage, we have the elders of Israel going before the prophet of God asking him, Uh, Hey, what does God say about these things? So here we go. Picking up in verse 1, it goes just like this. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Now let's pause right there. What is going on? Here's what's going on. The elders come up, like I said, they're going, hey, what do we do, Ezekiel? What are we going to do about this? And God says, hey, um, should I answer them? Because I look in their hearts and I don't see me. What I see is a bunch of idols. So should I consult? Should I answer them? That's what's just happened here. So we keep going in verse 4 and it says, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his hearts and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes to me with a multitude of his idols. So we see that God says, yeah, I'm going to answer him. That I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. So here's what God just said. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'll answer him. But I'm going to deal with the idols in their hearts first. Because I want to make sure that the covenant that I have with the people is not going where they're an idolatrous, whoring people. 
They don't just come before me like I'm some vending machine in the sky. You punch the right buttons, I'll give you what you want. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Okay, so that's what's going on here. So why do we have such apathy in the church today? Because we worship other things. We find other things more deserving of our affection, more deserving of our time, more deserving of our money. So how do you spot idols? Where your time, where your money, where your affection is, there's your God. So Ezekiel chapter 14 mentioned the heart, right? Mentioned it twice. So what does the Bible tell us about the heart? Does anybody got any verses? And by the way, when I speak, I have this tendency to ask questions, and so feel more than free to talk back, okay? Um, so what does the Bible say about hearts? Has anybody got any verses that come to mind? I mean, you literally mean, you know, what? where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Exactly. That's a good one. Hold on to that one. What else? Anybody else? Hmm. Exactly. It's desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond it there is no cure. Who can understand it? But yet we have a culture that says what? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Hmm, yeah. Follow your heart. Your heart got you in trouble by dating that girl or that guy in high school, too. Jeremiah says, Do not follow your heart because the thing is deceitful. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the thing you worship is the thing you talk about all the time. In Matthew 6, 21, the one you mentioned, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or should I put it like this? Where your money is, there your God is. You guys feeling me? You guys tracking with me thus far? So why are we so apathetic? Because we worship other things, like the elders of Ezekiel. So what are some idols? And I want you guys to call out idols. What are some common, everyday idols that happen in our culture right now? Because here's the thing. We tend to get in our mind, we think about the famous passage in Exodus where the children of Israel create this while Moses has gone up on the mountain. uh, They create this golden calf, right? They melt all this gold and they make this golden calf and they begin to worship it. Which, by the way, that was a worship leader that led that. It was Aaron. So you got to watch worship leaders, okay? Um, So... They're up, and they're worshiping this idol. And we get in our minds, we're like, oh yeah, statues, that's an idol. But no, again, where your money, your time, and your affection are, there's your idol. So give me some common everyday idols that we see in our culture every single day that we worship. Call them out. Eating? Oh man, that's a good one. That's the first time I heard. That's a good one. That's true. And we can see people get Buddha bellies, right? What else? The golden corral. The golden corral, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> What else? What else we got? Cars. Good. What else? Technology. Good. What else? What? Houses. Good. Music. What else? What? TV. I thought someone said me. I'm like, whoa. We're going to have to have another sermon series. Anything else? Money. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. (laughs) So... Check this out. I lived in Arkansas where I was a youth pastor. And in Arkansas, idols look like this. Big red pigs called Razorbacks. Okay? Um, Arkansas doesn't have a pro football team. They, don't have, they only have one Division I college team. Everybody and their mother is a Razorback fan. They don't just love Razorback football, Razorback girls softball, Razorback 
baseball, Razorback track. Who celebrates track? The Razorbacks do, man. That is a huge, huge idol in, in Arkansas. So here's what I have, you know. We've got, I got Razorback football, I got money, career, achievement, success, fame, fitness, which by the way, I'll never understand CrossFit. Um, kids, family, spouses, cars, social status, smartphones, and social media. Now, the one question that was up there talked about comparisons, right? Where's my phone? Okay. So it talked about comparisons. If you have a problem that you play comparison games, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a little tip. Get the crap off of social media. Nobody in the world puts their low-light film on Instagram. Nobody's puking in the toilet with the flu, uh, and then they hashtag it YOLO. Nobody does that crap. So here's the deal. Check this out. If you have a tendency to play the comparison game, wanting somebody else's life, because you compare your lowlights to their highlights, get off social media. It's not doing you any good, but stressing you out, causing you anxiety and frustration. And it ultimately gets you mad at God. Okay? So social media is a huge, 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 huge idol in our lives. Our smartphones, dude, I, and by the way, I meant to say this earlier. I'm not preaching at you because I do the same thing. Okay? Just know I'm in the same boat. We're all rowing along in the same idle boat. But, dude, I was walking down the road in my neighborhood, and I was, somebody texted me, and I'm texting on the way, going just like this, and I almost got hit by a car. That's how all of us are. We get so caught up in our own little world of worshiping our smartphones. I kind of wish I could go back to a dumb phone. So, so these are some common everyday idols in our culture, right? So the Bible speaks about idols 130 times. It mentions idols. And when you're in seminary and they're they're taking you through uh, preaching, like how how to preach a sermon, the first thing they tell you is, hey, if you see a passage or you see a theme that's mentioned multiple, multiple times throughout Scripture, take notice because God's trying to get your attention. So here's the deal. A little preaching tip. If you see multiple themes in the Bible, God's getting your attention. God's getting our attention here with idols. He's saying... Pay attention. I don't like them. Because what is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why did he make that the first one? It's the most foundational one. Here's why. Because it's like Jonathan, or, uh, John Calvin said. Our heart is nothing but an idol factory. Boy, we pump out idols. We love them. So God knew that his people were going to be an idol-making people. We're going to long for things that aren't him. So in Exodus 20, though, there's something that's kind of funny. Why, why does the Bible talk about idols? And why did God make the first commandment, the one that he did? It says because he's a jealous God. You guys, you guys recognize that passage? God's a jealous God? Now pause for a second. If anybody's like me, and JJ kind of, kind of came up with this or talked about this the first day of this series. And that is, does the Bible contradict itself? Because here, here's the thing. Does anybody else have the problem where they go, okay, wait a second, God says he's a jealous God, but then he says I'm not to be jealous. Yeah, because that makes sense. Right? Anybody else? You can be honest, because I, I, I did that. 
Why can God say he's a jealous God, but then say we can't be jealous? Well, here's why. When you look at it, let me just put it to you like this. Let me give you an example. My, my wife and kids are in the first service, so they're not here, but I, I'm married even though I look like I'm 17 years old. Most of you guys probably know that because I have like half of my high school class is like in this room. Um, so my wife and I have been married for 10 years. We have four kids. And uh, say you knew me really well. And you go out to have dinner with your spouse or your friend. And you see me at Olive Garden up in the corner all hugged up, nice, beautiful, romantically lit Olive Garden, sharing a breadstick. And you look really close and you notice that is not my wife. What's the first thing you're going to do? Well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to get out your phone and then you're going to post the status on Facebook that says, Logan Merrick is not here with his wife. Then you're going to make a phone call to my wife and then you're going to say, hey, listen, um, what are you doing? Well, I know you're not at Olive Garden, but your husband is, not with you. Right? Now, let me ask you this. Why would my wife be upset about that? And do you think she deserves the right to be upset? Yes. Why? Because I'm married to her, correct? I'm in covenant with her, correct? My heart is hers and hers alone, correct? So when God says he's a jealous God, he's saying you're a people set apart in covenant with me, and if you think you're going to whore after something else, you got another thing coming, because I am not taking up residence and sharing you with anybody else. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So, to give you another really good example of this, I read, everybody knows who Michael Jordan is, right? Because if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, we're going to have to have another sermon series, Okay. (laughs) Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And if you say LeBron James is, last time I checked, LeBron James did not save the world from an alien group and play basketball with Bugs Bunny. Okay? So until LeBron James does that, he is not the greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan, in his autobiography, he did this. He said this. He goes, um, he tells this story about his buddy. And how he goes into his buddy's house, and apparently it was cold in his, in his buddy's house or something like that. And he goes, hey, man, you got a jacket? He says, yeah, it's in the closet. All right. Tells him where the closet is. Michael Jordan goes in the closet. He comes back out. He's got an armful of clothes. And he comes in the living room, and he just dumps it. And he walks back, gets an armful of clothes, and he dumps it right in the dude's living room floor. And then he says, hey, where's your knives at? The guy goes, dude, you just dumped all my clothes. You want a knife? Why do you want a knife? He's like, I'll tell you in a second. Where's your knives at? They're in the kitchen. So he goes in the kitchen, and he gets this real big cutting knife, right? And he walks in there. He picks up one article of clothing one at a time. He looks the dude straight in the eye and just starts cutting it up. Gets all the way through. And the dude goes, what are you doing, man? That's all my clothes. He goes, that's Puma gear. And everybody knows who is Michael Jordan endorsed by. Nike. And he goes, so what? He goes, you have some Nike gear and some Puma gear in the same closet, man. You need to take, take a side, choose a side, and stay there. Because we ain't going to share a room with Puma. God's the same way. He's not going to share room in the closet of your heart with something else. I hate to tell you that. So, let me just tell you this. Get, but first, before I tell you this, turn to Colossians chapter 1. So that way we're, we're kind of killing two birds with one stone. 
my, as I told you, my dream more than anything was to play drums on big stages. I got to achieve that dream. I walked into the biggest record labels this world has to offer. But I held the band in my hand like this, tight-fisted, wanting nothing more than fame and success. And God did this. Thank God. Thank God that he stripped that thing from me because it was killing my marriage. It was killing me as a father. I was never home. So what he ended up doing was basically breaking my hand to get the idol from my hand. Whatever that thing is in your heart, that I know right now in your mind, God's already revealing it to you. It can be children. It can be a spouse, as I said. But they, you care and love more for that thing or that person more than you do God. And if you do not hold them like this, not only is he going to crush the idol, but he's going to crush your hand because he's going to do whatever it takes to save your soul. And it hurts. Trust me when I say it hurts. But it was well, well worth it. I'll never forget when the band ended. I thought my life was over. I was angry. And now I'll look back on it and I go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. If you guys are all staying with me, we're going to read this out loud. Because this verse right here, this passage right here, just to me, if you've ever seen a rap battle... In a rap battle, I love to watch rap battles because when a dude totally just smokes another cat, they drop the mic and walk away. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae, and he goes, hey, by the way, drop the mic and walk away. This is his drop the mic moment. We're all going to read it out loud. Okay, here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now pause. What does preeminent mean? superior, above everything. There's nothing like him, never will be anything like him. Not a person on this planet will ever do what he's done. Everything that we put before him was made for him to worship him, and yet we worship those things. That's what that verse is saying. Let's keep going. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Amen. You may be seated. So what is it saying? If you take notes, if you're in making notes right now, I want you to write this out in big letters to yourself. I want you to write, Jesus is better. He's better than any achievement, award, or money you could acquire. He's better than any status or popularity you could achieve. He's better than any sports team, car you could own, or fitness level you could attain. Jesus is much higher, superior, and greater than all of that junk. How much does God love you? 
this much. It wasn't nails that kept him on a cross for you, for me, and for the rest of the world. It was love. He could have walked himself right down from the cross, but he didn't. Because he looked at all of us and he goes, you're worth it. And yet we sit here day after day after day after day. And we go, don't worry about it, Jesus. I'll get to you in a minute. Right after I achieve this thing, right after I get this promotion, right after I achieve this amount of money, if you love me, God, you'll give me these things. But guess what? He loves you enough not to give you those things. I'm going to close with a story. A friend of mine fell in love with this girl. And, uh, oh, sorry. I got in trouble. Well, I didn't really get in trouble, but I was told that, like, I was supposed to stay in this square, but I'm a huge pacer, so it's hard for me to do that. Um, my buddy fell in love with this girl, right? And, like, he fell in love, like, head over heels in love to the point where he was that guy that when we were trying to watch a football game, all he did was talk about her. Like, shut up, bro. Shut up. Every status was about her. Everybody, you know those people? They just can't shut up. You're like, come on, man. Dang it. The bucks are on and they're getting beat. 36 to nothing, but shut up. <laughs> so that's him. He is like head over heels in love with this girl. And he marries her. And it was a beautiful, beautiful wedding. And so, but he, t- he would tell her this. He was the type of guy that every girl wants to marry. This is why. He, t- he would tell her every day, I love you every, I'm going to love you every day until you're more beautiful. So that as we age, you become more beautiful to me. And so, he would tell her that every day. He would buy her flowers, take her out on dates. I mean, he washed the dishes. And every woman in here goes, amen. <laughs> he just loved to serve her, love her. I mean, that's, that was his, like, it was like his whole existence was about her. And so, they get married and do the thing. And then two weeks into it, they, um, my buddy decides he's going to take some time off, get off early. He had planned this whole like surprise long weekend and all this stuff, right? Reserves this hotel that's really, really swanky and nice, something that I can't afford. And um, takes her out to this really nice, wants to take her out to this really nice restaurant. Gets, uh, talks to his boss into letting him off early. So... He gets off work, flies home. He's got flowers. He's super stoked. Pulls up. As he's pulling up, there's a car in the, in the driveway that he doesn't recognize. And he thinks, well, maybe she's got friends over. Well, she had some friends over. Um, walks in the house, starts making his way up the stairs. There's articles of clothing on the stairs. Walks in, and his wife is with another man. Now, fellas, I don't know about you, but if this was me... It would not end happily. It would end with me going to prison for a very long time. Um, But not him. He looked at his wife and he says, I don't know what I did to make you want to try to find love in another place. But I'm going to do everything I can to love you more. Let's go to counseling. Let's do whatever it takes to work it out. So they go to counseling for a week. They only go twice. On the second time, they're driving home and she says, I don't want to be with you. I don't love you. It was just a fling. It was just a thing. And um, she left. And my buddy gives her what she wants. And he gives her space. Well, she thought she was in love with this other dude, right? 
And this other guy uh, ended up being a pimp. And he sells her into this brothel, sex trafficking. You guys, I'm sure you know what human trafficking is. Sells her into it. My, my friend finds out about this. And this is his lady. This is his woman. This is who his heart has been melted to. And he's like, no, no. So he sells his house. He sells his cars. He sells everything he has. He flies to where she is. He finds out where this brothel is. Flies across the country. Walks into the brothel. They bring the girls out and line them up. They're all in numbers. And he sees his wife. And they make eye contact. And they don't say anything because if they say anything, um, they're going to die. They'll be killed. Okay? So he never says a thing. So they go up to him and they say, what girl do you want? And he says, I want that one right there. That one. She's old and used up. I want her. Fine. Take her. And then he says, $500,000 says I have her for the rest of her life. And they go, we were going to kill her anyway. She doesn't make any money for us anymore. If you want her, you take her. So he picks her up like he did on our wedding day, begins to walk out the door with her, turns back, and he looks at the, the brothel owner and he says, now we're done. You don't come after her anymore. She's mine. Understood? Understood. Walks out the door with her. She just looks at him. She's blown away by him. She's got tears in her eyes. And he looks at her and he says, I told you I'm going to love you more every day until you're more beautiful. My love does not stop. It continues to keep going until I stop breathing. Now, that story is a true story. And it's in here. It's called the book of Hosea. What does that have to do with anything I was just telling you? It's this. We are all like Hosea's wife, Gomer. We whore after other things. We are in covenant with God. And yet we say to God, why do you keep coming at me? Why do you keep trying to love me? Stay away. I don't love you. I love this thing more than you. Stay away. Just give me my space. Will you just give me my space? I'll make time for you when I have it. And God's there and he's going, I love you. My love does not stop. No matter how much you try to push me away, I'm going to continue to love you. I long for you. I died for you. He paid the highest price for us. And yet here we are, apathetically loving other things that can't satisfy, that can't save you, only brings destruction. You guys following with me? Now, we're going to listen to a song. While this song plays, the song's called Jesus is Better. And as we listen to it, I just want you to take this time, whatever that thing is that God has been revealing to you is your idol. You need to repent. If you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. If you give your life to him, I'm not going to promise it's going to get easier. It'll actually get harder. But it'll be an adventure. So as we listen, just let this be the time between you and the creator of the universe because he is your audience. Go ahead, guys.
Now let me just say this while I'm closing. To go back to the question. What do we do when we find ourselves keeping up with the Joneses or lusting after other things that don't matter? When you get angry at God because you don't have what other people have, you don't have fame, success, money, cars, houses, whatever that crap may be. If you don't have those things, do this. Get your eyes off your own belly button and get them up to the cross where they belong. Because the only thing that's worth having, the only thing that's better, you already have. And it's Jesus Christ, and he's worthy of all of our praise. Amen. Bow your heads. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that there is no other God like you on this planet. And I thank you that though we are a people that long for other things, you still say, I'm here and I'm going to love you every day till you're more beautiful to me. I'm thankful that you're coming back for a spotless bride. And Father, may we be a church, may we be a people that when culture says, love this thing, love this thing more, we say, no, Jesus is all we need. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.